Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Well, I want to invite you at this time to grab a Bible if you have a Bible. You can always pull it up on your phone as well. And let's turn together to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9 this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. We're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians, the Apostle Paul compares God's people to a grove of trees. And he says that since they have the Holy Spirit, they will grow fruit, what he calls fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are nine things that are in high demand right about now. Can I get an amen for that? Uh, And so the good news is, is that God promises to grow in us these ways. And because it is by the Spirit, we can grow in these ways no matter what is going on in our circumstances. Andy Crouch, he's compared our circumstances to a long winter or maybe even a short ice age. But even so, we are planted next to living water and so can grow. Uh, Paul starts with love. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Love, And so we will be focusing this morning on love. What is love in a long winter? Well, since Paul doesn't unpack this word for us in Galatians 5, uh, we are going to turn to another letter that he wrote, the book of Romans. He wrote this later in his life. And in particular, Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Because in Romans 12, 9, Paul gives us a definition of genuine love. I'll read and you can follow along. This is God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening. Holy Spirit, open our hearts so that we would see Jesus in this and that we would worship him and that we would be transformed. Speak, Lord, speak now for we're listening. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, so the other night I finally faced the facts. I'm losing my vision. And uh, I've, I've been secretly prideful about not needing contacts, not needing glasses all of my life. But lately I haven't been able to read even the menu at a restaurant. I haven't been able to read books under dim light at night. And so my doctor friends tell me there's a word for what's happening to me, presbyopia. Now, I took Greek in seminary, so I know what that word means, presbyopia. Presby is like the Greek word for elder and opia, vision. So basically, I have elderly vision right now. I know what that means. Um, I'm getting old. That's what it means. And so I've decided to do something about it. I can't go to the uh, the vision doctor yet. And so I printed off a home vision test. And it asked me to read line after line and then to stop when things got blurry. Well, things got blurry fast, a little too fast for me, actually. And I've thought about this vision test uh, because I have been studying the fruit of the Spirit. Again, love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if you were to ask me to define each of those words and to stop when things got blurry, I would have to say, and I would have to stop sooner than I would like to admit with the word love. Because the first word love is one of the hardest to define words for us these days. It's a blurry word. But this is a, and this is a problem because There's no more important word in the Bible than love. I mean, Paul puts love in front of everything else as fruit of the Spirit because it's number one. And none of the other ones make sense without love. In fact, elsewhere, Paul says, If I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, then I would be nothing. Without love, we are nothing. It seems love is absolutely important, but the problem is we don't really know what love means. New Testament scholar Douglas Moo says, People fill it with almost any meaning they want, particularly in a culture that thinks of love primarily as something that a person can fall in and out of. This is especially true, I think, in a pandemic. We need to recover the Bible's vision for love. Because blurry definitions of love is just not going to cut it these days. I read an article this week about marriage and retirement, and it's called, I married you for better or worse, not for lunch. It's the classic problem of a happily married couple who retires from their busy careers, and then suddenly they're not so happy anymore. Why? Well, because Blurry versions and blurry definitions of love is not enough to sustain their relationship, especially when that relationship is forced to spend all day, every day together for the first time in a very long time, maybe ever. Well, we're all retired now. Amen. We're all retired now. We're all living together. We're all living together without breaks. We're living together without space. And so we can admit, 
I think we can admit that these blurry definitions of love that you can fall in and out of is just not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to sustain. It's not going to bless others. It's just not enough. We need genuine love. We need real love. Well, that is exactly what Paul gives us in Romans 12, verse 9. Just take a look. My translation says, let love be genuine in verse 9, which is fine. But the original Greek is much better. Now, first of all, it doesn't have the verb let. It just says the genuine love. That's, that's what Paul writes. The genuine love. I like that a lot. It's a title. It's a title. And he's about to define the genuine love. And then second, he uses the definite article. So allow me to be nerdy for a minute. Because sometimes it's important theologically to be a grammar nerd. Paul uses the definite article, the, in front of genuine love. He says, the genuine love. He's not saying, this is a love. He's saying, this is the love. This isn't a blurry, choose-your-own-definition love. This is the love. And then third, Paul uses the word genuine. The word Paul uses here is literally a-hypocritical, a-hypocritical, the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrites in those days were play actors on the stage. And so Paul is saying, in a world of shallow play-acting love, this is real love, the real love. And what is it? Well, the passage that we heard aloud answers the question, what is genuine love? Now, full admission, I normally like to organize the passage I'm teaching on into three, if I can do it, uh, three categories, three main categories, kind of categories that I can hang my thoughts on and you can hang your thoughts on. And I spent a lot of time trying to do that with this passage this week. And then I finally gave up. But, it, but it's nice to know that Paul doesn't really want us, actually, to come up with nice little categories. Uh, he's doing what the ancients called paranesis. And paranesis is when you wrote in rapid fire unstructured ways, on purpose. New Testament scholar Michael Byrd, he compares this passage to a tweet storm, meant not only to inform us, but actually to stir us up into what he's describing here, real love. And so what I'm going to do, instead of having three points in a poem, I'm going to just go verse by verse and shed some light on each phrase and let God's word do its work in us. As I do this, the thing I want you to think about uh, is an image of a tent. So when camping, you have a tent that's made up of two things. You have nylon, rips up fabric, and you have tent poles. The word love these days is like a floppy nylon fabric. It means whatever we want it to mean. But what Paul does is he gives us these short but powerful defining statements about genuine love. And these poles, these tent poles, will build for us an architecture of love. That's what I want you to think of. I want you to see Paul building an actual structure in which we live and in which we invite others into. Something that we can actually live inside of. And so each verse serves as a structural pole, defining and filling out what genuine love is. And so if Paul promises that God the Spirit is going to grow love in our lives, this is the picture of what God is growing, okay? This is, the, this is a close-up picture of what the fruit looks like when it grows off the tree. So right away, let's take a look. 
I really encourage you to have a Bible if you don't, because I'm going to be going verse by verse here. Let's start in verse 9, where it says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So right away we see that real love, genuine love, uh, runs away from what God calls evil and, and sort of holds fast or locks down on what God calls good. So when my wife Josie and I hug, my four-year-old always tries to squeeze in between our hug. But he, he can't. He can't. We, we kind of lock down harder. That's real love, according to Paul. It grips tight to what God calls good in his word. So real love has a shape. It has a definition. And really, our open Bibles is a, a, a launch pad for real love in that sense. Because we see what God calls good and we cling to it. And we run away from what God calls evil. Verse 10, let's move on, says, love one another with brotherly affection. The word there is Philadelphia, and it describes family love. It's like the love a parent has for a child, even a child in rebellion. Real love, in other words, isn't fickle, it's faithful. Verse 10 also says, outdo one another in showing honor. So real love is a competition of sacrifice. It's a race to the bottom. And then verse 11 says, don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That word fervent, I love this word fervent. It literally means to be on fire. And the word spirit here likely refers to God the spirit. So Paul is saying that real love is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are set on fire by the Holy Spirit himself when we serve the Lord and when we serve others. That's what Paul is doing. He's wanting to stoke this fire. And then verse 12 says, real love rejoices in hope, is patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. So real love has a posture. It's not just something you fall in and out of. Real love has a posture, a compelling balance of three things. Joy, patience, and persevering, persevering prayer. So people on the receiving end of our real love will never get the impression that following Jesus or the love that Jesus gives us or grows on us is some kind of sort of pain-free existence. Uh, that, that following Jesus is some kind of pain-free existence because Paul says our posture includes persevering prayer and patience and tribulation. But neither will they get the impression that following Jesus is joyless because our posture is one that rejoices in hope. And so prayer, I'm sorry, love is a posture. It's a posture. And then verse 13 says, real love contributes to the needs of the saints and seeks out hospitality. So real love is not just a burst of inspiration, but it's a sort of patterned posture of habits. Real love is not always this burst of inspiration, but it's a steady commitment to contribute to the needs of others. And Paul says the saints, he's talking about the church, other brothers and sisters in the family of God. And these needs are material needs, food, clothes, housing. This is what real love does in a pandemic, friends. It contributes to the needs of the family. And Paul also says that real love seeks hospitality. Uh, two quick things to notice here. First of all, hospitality in those days, and it ought to be true in our day, was not entertaining friends. Hospitality was making room for the stranger. In Paul's world, it was literally hosting travelers who had no place to stay. And then look what Paul says. We're not just open to the idea 
of, 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 of hospitality. We're actually seeking hospitality. We're cultivating it in our lives. We're practicing it. We're pursuing it. And then verse 14, we see in this text, Paul shifts from the church family to the human family. Real love blesses others without exception. Real love is not just neighbor love, but enemy love. Let me say that again. Real love is not just neighbor love, but enemy love. And it's something that he unpacks in verses 17 through 21. Put positively, 17 through 21 says we bless our enemies. Put negatively, these verses tell us that we don't revenge or retaliate against our enemies. Now, how can we do this? It's a whole sermon series in and of itself. But Paul says we can entrust our story and the other person's story to God. And in the end, we have a trust that God will right all wrongs perfectly. Which What, what does that do for us? It frees us up. We're no longer enslaved to revenge. We can serve our enemy. Real love will step outside this sort of vicious cycle of revenge and polarization that we see today. And then in verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In Paul's Greco-Roman culture, I want you to understand that apathy was the prime virtue. Apathy. Apathy, that means sort of standing apart from somebody's emotions and what they're feeling, what they're weeping about. And they're, if they're rejoicing or if they're weeping, a virtue in Paul's day was to stand apart from that, to be apathetic to that. But Paul is a nonconformist. As he says at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, don't be conformed to the world. And when he says that, he's talking about the apathetic Greco-Roman culture, which says, that's your business, not mine. Paul says here that real love, real love actually um, is empathic, not apathetic. We, we, seek, we seek, just as we seek hospitality, we seek to identify with others' joys and sorrows. Even when, especially when, they're not ours. So who's weeping right now? We listen to them and we weep with them. Who's rejoicing? We listen to them and we rejoice with them. That's real love. And then, similar to this, in verse 16 and also in verse 18, if you take a look, Paul says real love is doing all that we can to live in harmony with others. So the other week, I, I actually I took out my guitar with my kids. I'll do it right now. And I, I, at the beginning of the day, I said, hey, we're all notes in this family. Here's a note. You're, you're a note right here, and you're a note, and I'm a note. And what we're going to try to do today is we're going to try to sort of be harmonious. <laughs> and I said, there are moments, though, where it's going to be like this. I'm a note, you're a note, and you're a note. And it's going to sound like this. All Paul is saying is essentially in this passage, we're going to do real love seeks harmony. It seeks harmony. doesn't mean that we lose our identity. It just means that we, we, we're paying attention to other people and we're pursuing harmony. Also, notice too, he says, as far as you are able, as far as you are able, in verse 18. So the gospel, Paul is saying, carries offense. It has edges. It has a definition. And God's people are not, they follow God. They're not defined by other people. So in seeking harmony, we don't dissolve our convictions. We don't dissolve our identity in order to blend in. 
No, the gospel carries its own offense. But what Paul is saying is that we don't add to the inherent offense of the gospel with our own uh, behaviors. We don't pick fights. We're not jerks. We're pursuing harmony where we can. We're so secure in Jesus. We don't need, we don't need to ruffle people up. We can love. And then finally in verse 16, Paul says that real love is humble. He says, do not be haughty. Which means that we're as close to the ground as possible. In fact, the word humble um, comes from hummus, which is, of course, dirt. And this idea to not be haughty, to be high in our thinking and high about our ability to think, is, is once again another strand in this call of humility that the gospel produces in us. It means we're close to the ground as possible. In Paul's day, you only associated with your class. Paul is again being nonconformist. He's saying, go low. Be downwardly mobile. So, those are all temples defining real love. Genuine love. Non-hypocritical love. The love. The love. This is what believers have. The love. When Paul says that the Spirit is growing love on you like fruit on a tree, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. And so what kind of structure do we get when we put all those pieces together? What kind of structure is built? Well, the kind of structure that is built, the room that is built with these tent poles is shaped like a cross. Do you see it? Just cast your eyes on the text and notice this is sacrificial love, not sentimental love. Genuine love is sacrificial love. Real love is is shaped like the cross. See, sentimental love is a deep feeling that you get. Sacrificial love is a deep commitment that you keep. As a father, I will call this difference the difference between a doting love, as I think about my children when they're infants, and diaper love. There's doting love and there's diaper love. I remember 10 years ago holding our firstborn for the first time. That was doting love. But then doting love disappeared at 2 a.m. in the morning when all I wanted was to string together about 45 minutes of sleep. That is when diaper love kicked in. Uh, When I put his needs above my own, and when I experienced and enacted a deep commitment to his growth and safety. That's diaper love. That's sacrificial love. Now, these two loves sometimes overlap, and I found that diaper love Uh, strengthens doting love. I'll put it another way. Uh, Sentimental love is often strengthened by a sort of foundation of sacrificial love, but they are different. Doting love is great. Diaper love is greater. And Paul shows us real love is sacrificial, not sentimental. Now, I don't know about you, but sacrificial love doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, So how can you begin living out this life of sacrificial love? Well, two things. Remember, we have to first receive this sacrificial love in order to give it. It's a principle in the scriptures that we can't give something, we can't give something away that we don't first already have. In order to release real love, genuine love, we need to first receive real love. And so I want you to just notice with your Bibles where in Paul's letter he's inviting us toward this genuine love. 
is toward the end of his letter. And that is on purpose because up to this point in Romans, Paul has been preaching and exalting in the genuine love of God. He has been preaching and exalting in this real love that God has poured out. He says in 5, five chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, that, who he has given to us. God's love has been poured out poured out where into our hearts like like desperate dry crumbly sponges god's love has been poured out making it alive through the holy spirit fruit of the spirit fruit of the spirit love we have to in order to grow the fruit of love we have to receive this love from the spirit god's love is poured out into you your your heart it's like an empty vessel and god's love continually pours like a never-ending fountain into your heart. And then three verses later, he talks about this love. He, he gives us a, a better picture of this. He says, God showed his love for us. This is three verses later. This love that he's pouring out, he shows us this love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is God's genuine, sacrificial, cross-shaped love that he pours into your heart right now. And then three chapters later, chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? I'll add COVID-19 or nakedness or danger or sword. No, and all of these things were more than conquerors. In ourselves, no, through him, through him who loved us. We're conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, heights or depths, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the real, genuine love of God that Paul exalts in. This is real love. This is sacrificial love. This is committed love. You are, and I am, the rebellious teenager that runs away. But God is the Father who shows us genuine love by pursuing us, by rescuing us at greatest cost, and by making a home for us, and not only making a home for us, giving us a place at his table. This brotherly love, this family love, is given by God himself. And in order to give this love out, we need to first receive it. In order to love your enemy, we have to recognize that we are loved enemies. In order to love your enemy, you have to realize that you are a loved enemy. In order to, sh uh, to show service up to other people, we need to receive the unbelievable service of Jesus himself. He who is God in the flesh did not flex his rights, but served you even to death. We need to receive that in order to even begin serving others. In order to love well these days, we need to be loved well. And we are in Jesus. So receive that. And then release that. And when I say release love, it's no longer a vague, blurry concept, is it? We just saw what genuine love looks like. And what I want you to do is after having received the sort of love of God in its full breadth, after doing that, just read this passage. And you'll find in this passage a structure. You'll find, as some have put it, train tracks on which to ride, to give you direction 
and to inform the ways and the, uh, and the habits of, of our love. We release it. We unleash it. One of the most important words in the book of Romans is therefore at the beginning of chapter 12. We're in chapter 12 with this, with this description of love. The entire outline of love is on the heels then of this therefore. Chapters 1 through 11, as we just heard, is the real love of God. Then Paul says therefore, and here he shows us what that real love unleashed in God's people looks like. It's a sacrificial love. We don't obey these verses to get God's love. We obey these verses because we have God's love. So each summer, we go to this terribly hot 4th of July festival in a place called Johannesburg, Michigan. And there's a square foot of shade in this little park that we go to, and it's all taken pretty much. And so by the end of the day, we're all miserable, we're all dehydrated, and just at the moment we're all ready to call it quits, the fire trucks come out. And the fire trucks somehow set their hoses to the sky and transform into this giant water sprinkler. It's the best thing ever. And that's what we can do today. In fact, that's the image I have for us as a church. We can bless our family. We can bless our neighbors, our friends, our kids, our coworkers. When we receive God's genuine love, we are connected to the water source, and then we can open the valves. We can open the valves in this desert and provide relief and provide blessing. We can provide blessing. We bless others with this genuine love because we have received it. We have all we need. Friends, you have everything you need. You don't need anything. You have the love of God. Now, unleash. Unleash it. Unleash it. Race to the bottom, friends. Race to the bottom even today. Serve. You don't need anything. You can bless even your enemy. We are loved enemies. We can now love our enemy. We are loved and served by Jesus unendingly. We now can do the same. Fruit of the Spirit is love. God is growing that among us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so glad that you define love for us. We are so glad that we see that we are not left to our own definitions of love. I pray, Lord, that as we see the shape of your love and as we're invited to live in it ourselves and invite other people into it, I pray that that would happen in this time. In this long winter or perhaps short ice age, would our homes, would our speech, would our lives be an architecture of love? Receiving first your love and then releasing it to others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.